so today we are um, continuing our way through the through the book of Luke. We had a, a, a short break last week as uh, Jonathan preached for us from Second Samuel. And today we are we're looking at a, a well-known passage. I, I think I've said that several times introducing passages in Luke. I think most of the passages in Luke are fairly well known, some more than others. But this is one that you know I probably, um, to many of you, our uh, women's Bible study has been going through a book that is focusing on this story, the Mary and Martha. Um, and so, you know, some, that so many of you have been reflecting on it more recently than even I have. Um, and, you know, as I was thinking about this, this text, which, which we'll read in a moment, um, I, I was really struck by how it's such an amazing picture of actually what, what Charlotte was reading for us in our Old Testament text, that um, in Psalm 46, it's this, this beautiful picture of this there's storm raging, everything is being cast into the, to the sea, and then all of a sudden it's just the scene changes and you have the, this vision of the, the river of God, and it, it says to be still and know that I am God. And, and so what does it look like to, to be still and know that he is God in the midst of the storm, the anxieties, the troubles of, of life? What does this look like? That's what we see in this text. So... Again, um, this is Luke chapter 10. Um, if you're using the, the Pew Bible, uh, this is on page 869. And I would encourage you to turn, your in the, turn there in your Bible, keep your Bible open, because we'll be uh, working our way verse by verse through it after we uh, read. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we are prone to distraction, prone to turn away from you. So, Lord, we ask for your spirit to work in our hearts, Lord, that we can understand this, um, that we could apply it, that we could live differently and trust you more in light of this text. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's interesting. I mean, I always, I always joke that I'm a, a church history nerd, but this passage, passages like this, have sometimes been taken different ways uh, throughout the, the history of the church. So the one way that, that people have taken this text is to say that, that really Martha represents the, the calling of the, the ordinary Christian who's distracted by much serving, the cares and concerns of the world, 
and then, you know, Mary is, is the, the special calling of, of somebody who dedicates their life to, to prayer and, and contemplation and, and solitude, you know, who retreats to the, to the monastery. And then also I think that, that this has been sometimes taken more as a sense of just individual piety, individual growth before the Lord. Uh, and so, you know, people will sometimes ask you if you're in Christian circles, say, you know, are you a Mary or a Martha? And then you're always afraid to answer either way, because if you say you're a Mary, then people assume that you just sit around and read your Bible, but you don't ever do anything. And then if you, if you say that you're a Martha, they assume that you're, you know, your type A personality, you're getting things done, um, but you don't value uh, contemplation. I don't think that that's necessarily a, a bad a, approach to this. But today I actually want to think about this in terms of how it would shape a, a church. Um, what does this text speak to actually a church corporately together? What, what does this say about the calling of Hope Church? And, and we'll look at how this shows just four aspects of our calling as a church. And so first, we're called to be a church that shows hospitality. So look at the first verse, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And so right off the bat, we're introduced here to, to Martha, and you know, we've been talking, as we'll, in a moment we'll talk more about it, but at Hope about radical, ordinary hospitality, that that's what, what she shows here, that she's welcoming Jesus, she's opening her home to Jesus he's, as he's traveling uh, from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And so if you've been at Hope, you know that this has been a theme that we've been talking about a lot of hospitality. Um, I preached a sermon on hospitality from the book of Luke. Uh, we did a three-week seminar on it, and, and we're actually still in our connect groups uh, in the midst of a 10-week series on hospitality. And so some of you might be, okay, I'm getting tired of thinking about hospitality. We've said everything that there is to, to say about it, but yet... Here again, we see an example of hospitality, of, of Martha opening her home. And we, we know just from the broader teaching of Scripture that, that Martha, she's not a, a Pharisee. She's, she's not a, a hypocrite at, at root. Um, we know from John chapter 11, when Jesus raises her brother from the dead, that, that she believed in the resurrection. She loved Jesus. She trusted in Jesus, that she's showing gratitude, openness to him, welcoming him. And I think that, that sometimes people read this passage and they try to act like, okay, Martha is the one, the kind of the bad one. You don't want to be Martha, that you want to be Mary, um, who's, who's dedicating herself to you know, contemplation, sitting at the feet of Christ. But it's important to notice what immediately precedes this passage. And, and, you know, maybe this was two weeks ago, so maybe, maybe you've forgotten. But even if you look in, in your Bible, uh, what is Jesus talking about just before this in Luke? And it's the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so it's kind of the, the ultimate passage in the New Testament about really nitty-gritty, practical service for your neighbor, that, that true love can't be just sitting around and, and doing nothing and, and thinking good thoughts, but it's actually seeing somebody in need, showing hospitality, 
sacrificing in, in dangerous ways, in costly ways. And so when you look at Martha then, she kind of is a, she's a lot like the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan's a lot like her, that she's in a sense living out what Jesus said. When he said, go and do likewise, that's really what, what Martha is doing. And so I think that, that we would be actually misapplying this passage if the big takeaway was, you know, don't do anything, don't serve, that doesn't matter. Um, just, sit, again, sit around, pray, read your Bible. That is all that you have to do um, because we'd be missing the parable of the Good Samaritan. We'd be missing what Martha is showing us, this kind of practical, nitty-gritty service caring for others. And this is what is recommended and commanded in the New Testament. James, who's kind of the, the ultimate practical apostle, um, he says that if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And then the Apostle John says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And so you, you see what, what John is saying. He's saying, don't love just in, in word, but actually love in, in deed and in truth. And it really seems like that's what Martha is is living out at the beginning of this, welcoming Jesus into her home. And so that's the, the first aspect of our calling from this text, that we're, we're called to be a church that shows hospitality. But then second, we're, we're called to be a church that sits at the feet of Christ. Look at the next verse, verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And if you, you look at commentaries, which can be helpful for filling out cultural details, uh, they, they make the point that at this time, this culture, it wasn't common for, for women to look to learn theology formally as the disciple of a, of a rabbi. They could study the Torah, they would learn in certain ways, but in terms of, you know, while the rabbi's teaching, sitting there as, as one of the, the disciples listening, learning, it would have been uh, more of a countercultural thing. That then, in a way, on the surface, Martha's doing what would have been more of the expected thing. But here's Mary, she's sitting at his feet, listening, learning, just hanging on every word that is coming from the mouth of, of Christ. And I think that there are many ways that we also are called to sit at the feet of Christ in our lives. We do it in, in prayer. We do it in personal Bible reading. We do it in family worship, family devotionals. But I think the most central way that we sit at the feet of Christ in our week as, as believers is actually in the, the preaching of, of God's word. Because you know, even for me, what what starts my week and what runs through my week is taking the passage that I'm going to be looking at that week and you know, praying through it, studying it, saying, what does this mean, Lord? How does this apply to, to my life? And so it's this, this posture for, for me of, okay, it's not that I do it perfectly, but trying to sit at the feet of, of Christ, listening to what he has to say. 
And that, that's really what I think anyone who is who's preaching God's word, that's the immediate posture to be like Mary in this text. And then even then as I, as I stand and I teach, as I preach, um, that, that I'm proclaiming God's word, and then you are here sitting and, and listening to the scripture. And, and hopefully it's not that you're getting just the, the top 10 insights of Will Stern, that if, if that's what you're getting, then um, I should just quit and go get another job because I don't have that much wisdom in myself to impart. Or you know, you're, you're not just getting, hopefully, human wisdom. Again, that, that's not that, that valuable. But, but hopefully what you're getting is, is the scripture, the, the word of God, that it's, it's being read and then it's being explained and, and you're able to you know, have it open yourself looking, is this actually what the, the scripture says? And then seeing how does this apply to my life? How does this apply to your life? And so what does it look like for, for all of us to sit at the feet of Christ together? And there's a phrase that you know, sometimes theologians talk about called the, the primacy of, of preaching. And it's the, the idea that, that biblical preaching ought to be the, the centerpiece of Christian worship. I mean, it, there's, there's a reason that it's the, the longest part of our service. Uh, there's a reason that, that I pour the most time in my week into it. And, and the, the reason is, is what we see here, that yes, we are to, to serve, yes, we're to be people of action, but the, the starting place for disciples, the starting place for the church um, is not taking our own ideas and trying to say, okay, that is what needs to be heard, but rather the, this posture of, of listening to, to Christ. What does, does Christ say to the churches? How can we be, be living and repenting and, and, and being faithful to what he has to say to us? And it's interesting. I mean, we could spend a, a long time talking about this, but if you look at just 2,000 years of the church history of church history that there's been times where the church has been strong and the times where it has waned and and where it has been weak and and it's really interesting that that you can almost track the, the place of of biblical preaching in the church along with the health and vibrance of the church that when the church declines there's a simultaneous decline of robust biblical preaching when the, when the church is um, either growing numerically or reformation of the church, renewal of the church, that it's, it's accompanied with a, re, a renewal and revival of, of a sense of biblical preaching. And, it, and it's, it's driven by it because it's the, the word of God sitting at the feet of Christ that is the, the engine of the church. It's the power of renewal and change. You know, there's that image in the book of Ezekiel where where God says, see this valley of dry bones, and he says, you know, speak, prophesy over the dry bones, and through the word of God going forth, it, it raises up into this, this army before the Lord. And, and so my prayer for, for Hope Church and yours, I mean, Lord willing, someday even when, when I'm not here anymore and you know, somebody else is pastoring Hope Church, uh, that, that this would be a church that, yes, cares about, service, cares about hospitality, cares about education, cares about justice, cares about the arts. Um, and that's part of our calling, that we are to be a, a Martha-like church. 
but that even more importantly, we would be the, the Mary-like church that sits at the feet of Christ, that listens to his word, that values biblical preaching, that really believes what Paul says, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Listen to these, these texts from scripture about the word of God. Romans 10 says that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. 1 Peter 1 says that we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then when the Apostle Paul is giving some of his final advice, exhortation to um, Timothy, this young pastor in 2 Timothy 4, he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, sorry, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. And so I think that, it, that it's true that if there's going to be any lasting impact of Hope Church in Garnet Valley, in the world, it's not going to come through, through my wisdom, through your wisdom, through our talent, through how strong our, our programs are, how the it, things are structured. And again, not that those things aren't important, not that those things don't matter. In the same way that hospitality matters, the same way that what Martha is doing matters, but ultimately there any lasting eternal good that is going to survive this life will come through the living and abiding word of God. And so that's the second aspect of our calling that we're called to be a church that sits at Christ's feet. But then third, we're called to be a church that avoids the danger of, of distraction. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So remember, we, we, we were just saying, we should be a Martha-like church, that we should be showing hospitality, serving in practical, nitty-gritty ways. We should be a, a Mary-like church that sits at the feet of Christ, listens to his word, has that as a starting place. And in an ideal world, there would actually be no conflict between those two things. That we would start from this position of, Lord, I want to listen to you, I want to hear what you have done for me in Christ. And then I want to respond in obedience to that by actually living in that out in gratitude. But then unfortunately, like Mary, I think that we sometimes fall into this danger of distraction. Our, our text says that she was distracted with much serving. And so it's saying hospitality is good, service is good, loving our neighbor is, is good, but sometimes even good things, even things that God wants us to do, can actually become a form of distraction from what is most important and from the Lord. That, and this happens when we start to focus primarily on what we are doing for Christ rather than on what he has done for us. And this is what we see in Martha, that she begins with the, this radical, ordinary hospitality. She's serving Jesus. She's welcoming him. him. She's opening her home. But then she starts to get distracted, and, and those good things become the ultimate thing in her life. Um, and, then it, and then it moves to self-pity of, well, I'm doing all of the work. 
Mary's just sitting there. She's not even helping at all. Then the self-pity moves to self-righteous anger of just, I'm so angry at her for what she's doing. And then as I think as it often happens when we become angry at other people, eventually that anger translates to anger at, at God himself because she then turns to, to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And so what started off as this you know, sincere service out of love for Christ turns into essentially trying to boss Jesus around. Not a good idea. Uh, trying to then imply that somehow Jesus doesn't notice, doesn't care. Lord, do you not care that my sister is here? And so it's essentially saying, Lord, you don't care about me or you would speak into this situation. And this is what happens to us as well, that we're, we're volunteering in church. We feel like we're, we're doing 80% of the work. Uh, we're showing hospitality. We're caring for the poor. We're opening our homes. Uh, we're moving chairs. We're, we're doing all the things that are necessary for the gospel to go forward. And, and those are good things. But then suddenly the, the, we're distracted by much serving. We feel like others aren't pulling their weight. We move from self-pity to self-righteousness. We're at the place where, okay, I, we could blow up at other people. Maybe we do. And then suddenly it turns to God where we're saying, God, why have you put me in this church? Why are these people, do you not care about me? Why am I not being noticed for what I'm doing? And if we're not careful, I think this is exactly what could happen to hope church to you and to me that we're serving we're, we're we're seeing impact in our community but then we wake up one day and we're distracted by much serving we're forgetting what's important and then what could follow from that is that hope church could become a, a church of self-righteous angry people that are doing really good stuff on the outside but that it's actually not coming from the right place and the Lord help us if we ever get to that to that place and so that's the the third aspect of our calling um, to be a, a church that avoids avoids the danger of distraction but then finally we're called to be a church that chooses the good portion so look at verse 41 but the Lord answered her Martha Martha you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So I, I love the way that, that Jesus rebukes Martha here. Um, uh, because, I, I mean, you wonder, how did he say Martha, Martha? And, I, and I'm quite confident that it wasn't said in anger or in, in frustration but it almost feels like he, he's trying to just calm her down like Martha Martha just breathe um, and then he says you know you're, you're anxious and you're, you're troubled about many things and, and and maybe that's where some of you are here today that you're you're anxious and troubled about many things and and it could be that it's you're anxious about family um, you're anxious about a child, you're anxious about a friend, you're anxious about your job, you're anxious about the, the lack of a job, you're anxious about um, politics or about, um, there, there's so many things. I mean, there are literally 
millions of things that you could be anxious about. I mean, just read the small print on your insurance and you realize all the things that somebody has thought of that could go wrong, that there are plenty of things to be, to be anxious about. But then Jesus says to Mary, only one thing is necessary. And then you think, only one thing? That we think of all the, all the things that we're anxious and troubled about. This is really, it's very necessary. But he says, no, one thing is necessary. And you say, well, what is the one thing? He says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And so you think, well, what is the good portion? Um, is that the same as the one necessary thing? What is he talking about? Well, in Isaiah 40, we read this. It says, that all flesh is grass, and all its beauty, like the flower of the, of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And so, we said, it, it's important to serve. It's important to show hospitality. It's important to, to actually make a practical difference in people's lives. But what Isaiah is saying is that, that all of humanity, all the beauty in the world, everything that we think is, is important and valuable, and yeah, the, the flowers in your, your garden, they're important. You tend them. You care for them. But he says that, that we're like the, the flowers of the field. We're like the grass that, that withers away, that we're, we're here today, gone tomorrow, we're, we're weak. And so so what is it that actually has eternal value? What will stand the, the test of time? And that's why he says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And there's a, a passage in, in John 4 where Jesus is he's traveling, he's tired, he's thirsty, he stops at a well and asks the Samaritan woman for water. And she's surprised that a, a Jewish man would ask water from a Samaritan woman. And then Jesus says, well, actually, I have water to give you that, that you don't know about. And then he, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And really, Jesus there is just echoing Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And so as you think about it in your life, you know, what is it that can truly satisfy eternally? What is the, the one thing that is necessary? What is the, the good portion that will not be taken away and it's right to say that, on the, the first hand, it's the word of God, the scriptures, that as we have the, the scriptures planted deep down in our hearts, whether if we pray through it and, and memorize it, that it's a good portion that will not be taken away, that somebody can take your, your Bible away. They can even kill you and persecute you, uh, but the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever, that... that that it's impossible to take away the, the word of God that is, is planted in the heart. And that actually it's the word of God that is able to bring us into to life that is even beyond this life. But then it's also right to say that the word of God is, is the, the central message of the Bible called the gospel. 
which is really about what God has done for us, not what we do for him, that, that we're, we're sinful people, we break his law, that would bring judgment, that, but Jesus came to, to live a perfect life in our place where we can't, to die a sacrificial death in our place that we could never bear, to rise again from the dead so that we can have life. And so as we repent and trust in him, our, our sin is counted to him. His righteousness is counted to us. We're given, given life, and, and that's what it is. It's, it's his work for us, not our work for him. And any work we do is a response to his work for us. But most importantly, yes, the word is, is the Bible. It's the central message of the Bible, the gospel. But ultimately, it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. John 1 says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as, is, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So you think, what is the thing that can truly satisfy? What is the one thing that is necessary? What is the, the good portion that will not be taken away? And it's ultimately Jesus Christ himself. Uh, because the, the Bible isn't about a list of abstract rules. It isn't uh, about um, just a bunch of ceremonies, but it's about Christ and and our relationship to him, what he has done for us. And, and that's really what Mary saw. That's what Jesus means when he says that she chose the good portion because she chose to, to listen to Christ, that, that relationship uh, with him. And when we have that, when we are in Christ, when his life is our life and our life is his, that we have something that will never be taken away. And, and scripture says that neither height nor depth nor Anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And that's why we, we end each of our, of our services with this meal, with the, with the Lord's Supper. Uh, because this is uh, something that, that shows us the good portion that will not be taken away. The, the one thing that is, is necessary, and it's the word of, of God. The word of God written the word of God proclaimed, the word of God, Jesus Christ himself made flesh for us, that he, he was, had true humanity, true body, true blood poured out in our place so that we can have life and the forgiveness of our sins.